0: Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. I've already had a lot of great conversations about the weirdness and pleasure of being a writer, so please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, And if you do enjoy these episodes, which go up every Monday morning without fail, please tell other people about them. I do this on my own, so it helps a lot. If you want to send me a suggestion for a future guest, or comment on an episode, or just find out more about what I am doing, I have books of my own, hint hint, please go to nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Omar el Akkad. Omar is an author and celebrated journalist whose debut novel, American War, was first published in 2017. It was an international bestseller, was translated into 13 languages, and won the Pacific Northwest Booksellers Award, the Oregon Book Award for Fiction, the Kobo Emerging Writer Prize, as well as being nominated for nearly a dozen other awards. It was also a finalist on Canada Reads. His second and most recent novel, What Strange Paradise, was published in 2021 by McClellan and Stewart in Canada. It won the Giller Prize, the Pacific Northwest Book Award, and landed on the shortlist for many other awards. It too was a finalist on Canada Reads. In its review of What Strange Paradise, which Omar mentions in our conversation, the New York Times Book Review said that the book deserves to be an instant classic. Omar and I talk about the three unpublished novels he wrote before American War, about the fact that, though he is very grateful for the success he has had so far, he still feels some nostalgia for the years he spent writing those unpublished novels, and about a recent creative writing retreat, his first, that was a disaster of nearly novelistic proportions. When we were scheduling this, when we were trying to find a great, uh, uh, an ideal time to do this, you had mentioned that you were in, you called it scheduling hell, that you were, you had a really busy month. uh, I guess in January, what does that actually mean for you? Like, what's, what are the kind of things that are being thrown at you? Are these like author appearances? Are these family commitments?
1: It's a combination of all of those things. I. I'm on the faculty of an MFA program here that I just started with literally last month.
0: Oh, okay. Congratulations.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if the students appreciate it, but I certainly (laughs) do. Um, they, it's a low res program. So they meet twice a year for Mm. 10 days. And in January, those 10 days are out in, um, Seaside, which is this town on the coast, right on the Pacific ocean out here in Oregon. And so we go out there and it's just a deeply unfortuitous <laughs> 10 days that begins with somebody found dead in the hot tub of the hotel we're staying at. For real? Yeah. Um, we don't know what happened, but that was the oh first my God. Day. And then at the end of that 10 days, this ice storm comes to Oregon and um, essentially wrecks the roads uh this isn't canada they get a little bit of ice or snow here and it's like the walking dead people just abandon their cars in the middle of the road and, yeah um so that was the start of the uh, of the month and then i'm i'm on deadline for two manuscripts neither of which i know whether it's going to get published or not but i decided last year that i was going to dedicate 2024 to actually writing which is something i've done very little of in the last couple of years, both because of writer's block and just because of auxiliary commitments. Um, So I have a little wall calendar. You can't see it. It's on the opposite wall behind me, but I put a little X when I um, finish a thousand words uh, on either project and I alternate, I go back and forth. Once one is a nonfiction project and one is a fiction. Um, And so between those things and the fact that I have two young kids and my wife has a very demanding job. Um, I've just effectively jettisoned all of my social life and uh, anything, <laughs> anything remotely optional has gone out the window.
0: Well, I appreciate you finding time to talk to some random person on a podcast. I do appreciate that.
1: Happy to do it.
0: I do want to go back to this writer's, ret- you know, this uh, student writer's retreat where that began with a dead body and ended with an ice storm like what were the reactions of the students and the fact like how were people were you able to just have normal conversations about writing techniques and finding voice while this is all going on around you or did that just completely derail the week
1: it's hard for me to say what this should have felt like because it's my first one and so i don't know maybe maybe the vibe is really awkward at all of these retreats all <laughs> of the time and i'm just about to find this out the next one's in june i think so I'll have my point of comparison then, but I think one of the really interesting things about teaching in an MFA program is that I never went to an MFA program, Hmm. and so I have very little in the way of experience on the other side of that relationship. You know, I had a creative writing teacher in college, Carolyn Smart, who who was hugely influential um, and is the reason I'm I'm a functioning, full-time writer today. She was the first person I met who made a living off of writing and allowed me to believe that that was something you could do with your life. But I didn't have a program. I didn't have uh, an entire kind of entity that I was engaged in. These were literally two creative writing classes that I took over the course of my five years at Queen's. so to watch people, and these are folks who are, for the most part, older than I am, who have decided to go and pursue this. And there's something very, very inspiring about watching people dedicate, you know, two plus years of their lives to thinking about writing. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm taken by the, the very different approaches that these people have. You know, I've met people who are very, very disciplined. I've met people who don't have the time to write. They've got all kinds of obligations. And this was their means of trying to carve out a little space.
0: Right. Like um, an artificially, artificially imposed deadlines and so forth.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And um, some of them know exactly what they want to write. Some of them have no idea. Some of them want to write about everything in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And you read the synopsis of their proposed projects and you think, oh, there's six different books in here. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them have done more than enough living to be able to sit down and write, but haven't done that much writing. And so you're talking about the technical side of it, the mechanics of it, how a sentence fits. Um, And some of them are quite the opposite. They've read everything on the face of the earth. And they haven't experienced that much. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very, very different. And I find it incredibly inspiring to be around that. But um, I don't know how much the death in the hot tub uh, (laughs) changed. This is what happened. Someone was floating in the hot tub on the first day. Um, Jeez. I don't know how much that threw everybody off. I don't know how much eating dinner by candlelight in the last couple of days, because the power had gone out in the hotel, I don't know how much that changed the vibe of things. If I were a betting man, I'd say substantially, um, <laughs> but I have no point of comparison, so who knows?
0: It feels like a, a it feels like a screenplay in the making. Like there is a there's a film or a, or a novel in there. Like a you know there's a ghost story to be told out of this. It's a massively dramatic. I I worry that the next time you go everything will work out fine and you'll be like this feels too ordinary this feels too bland and just regular conversations where's the body
1: right it'll be a huge letdown this is the other (laughs) occupational hazard of doing this kind of thing um i am i'm consciously low-grade panicking about saying anything or doing anything that might end up in one of 50 different manuscripts (laughs) Um, that's just i think it's the reason why i try to limit my time around other writers i'm not interesting enough for that to be a real occupational hazard but if it is boring enough uh, outside the context of what i'm saying or doing then that that becomes a real risk
0: yeah you know you know from yourself how much you are pulling from everybody that you speak to exactly how much you are mentally recording every moment and preserving it for you know content at some point
1: yeah it's just a den of thieves
0: you mentioned your there was those two creative writing classes you did and there was a sense when i was kind of looking into that, that that was almost like stolen time for you it was like you were almost sneaking around on your central degree which was computer science which i'm assuming plays no part in your life at the moment is there still part of you that feels like being a writer involves kind of stealing that that time or leaping the fence or almost something underhanded. I'm even thinking of your your Giller speech, your where you said, you know, people allow your family allowing you to kind of sneak off and be writer boy. <laughs> like that that suggests you have some guilt uh connected with the with the with the work.
1: I have trouble calling myself a writer. I don't feel like I've earned it in the way that um The people whose work I love have earned it. And I don't know how much of that has any relationship with reality. And to be perfectly honest, the older I get, the less I care, because I've come to understand that the same muscles that allow me to obsess over the work and thus create the work in the first place are kind of inseparable from the muscles that generate that anxiety Mm. and that sense of not being good enough for the title. and I've learned to live with that you know right now, in order to get the work done in order to get the words down on paper, I am forcing myself to sit down and write every day, which is not how I normally do things. Uh, I'm normally much more precious about it, and if the weather is slightly off or <laughs> if I have a slight pain in my knee or something, then the day is ruined um mm-hmm. And I've had to be a little bit more of a grown-up about it because I don't have the privilege of being precious about it. Um, I don't know that I've ever truly been a full-time writer. I wrote four novels in my spare time while working at the Globe and Mail, which is a job I was very, very fortunate to get in the first place because I don't have a journalism degree. I have a computer science degree that you are correct. I have never used in any capacity. I went from writing in my spare time while working at the Globe and Mail to publishing American war, which was the fourth of those three novels that I wasn't planning to show to anybody until I had a bad day at work. And that's the only reason I showed it to an agent Um, and the only reason we sold it and it went out into the world. And two weeks after that novel came out, my daughter was born and I cut the book tour short. She showed up a week early. I I did an Hmm. event at City Lights in San Francisco. Great event. Um, Went home that night feeling amazing about myself for having finally done one of my bucket list bookstores, you know, and then got a call at three in the morning saying uh, you better come home. Um, And since that time, I feel like I've also been writing in my spare time because of family obligations and because of all of the auxiliary writing stuff that doesn't involve writing. Mm. One of the very weird things about this kind of life is that if you have any success at all, and I've had a little bit of success, I haven't had very much, but I've had a little bit. One of the rewards is less and less writing time. Because Mm -hmm. you are asked to do workshops and sit on a faculty and jury duty and blurbs. Um, And So there is a part of me that knows that later on in life, I feel like I'm going to regret having been a part-time writer for probably most of my life, Um, because it's the only thing I know how to do. And it's the only thing that I keep coming back to even when it kicks my ass. But I also know that the alternative to go full J.D. Salinger and become an art monster and, you know, treat my family like crap and abandon all grown-up obligations is the sort of thing that guys are allowed to get away with for some reason. Yes. But that doesn't yeah. make you any less monstrous for doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, plus, the things I do with my life, particularly with my, with my personal life, are giving me an education in what it means to be human, which is the only real education you need to write Um, you know I don't want to sort of convince people not to go to the MFA program I teach at but if it's between that and actually living um, go live so Mm -hmm. so it is in the long run I think beneficial to whatever writing I end up doing
0: you probably have the the occasional moment or the frequent moment that that you know any writer with kids has with very young kids where you're like, oh, this would be so much easier. I could get, I would have eight more books if there just weren't these kids demanding to be fed and bathed and taken to school and thought about and cared about. And then I'm I'm assuming that, the, or I hope, the, the following that thought gets immediately squelched by like, yeah, but those books would be awful. <laughs> or maybe I wouldn't be writing those books. I'd be off partying or traveling or, you know, wasting time some other way.
1: I mean, you can't see it here; it's off to the side. But um, for no discernible reason, while we were sitting around the other day, my kids are very interactive, and and they're interactive with me more than they are uh, with their mom, which is one of the downsides for her of being the competent parent in the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they associate her with rules and stuff that years later they're going to realize was very very beneficial for them but, <laughs> but for now you know daddy's the fun one um, you're the
0: larger kid you're right
1: exactly I'm, I'm perpetually 12 years old and so you know we're usually playing tag or running around or doing whatever and, and for no discernible reason my daughter sort of abandons these endeavors and just goes off to her little craft table inside of the dining room and starts working on something and then comes back like you know half an hour later I hadn't even realized that she'd gone off, you know, sort of running around with my three-year-old son. And she comes back and she gives me this card. And it's got this like butterfly on the front, you know, to Omar Lacad from Dalia Lacad, And inside it just says, I love you more than ever. Cows, horses, pigs, cows, horses, pigs. And I'm like, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. I love you too. You know, why cows, horses, pigs? And she was like, yeah, oh, that's just what I was thinking of when I was writing this. And, like, writing's never going to do that for me. You know? <laughs> writing's never going to tell me it loves me, cows, horses, pigs. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I have, I have more bad writing days than good. And when they're bad, they're really bad. And I feel completely worthless because I've tied my entire sense of self-worth to this ridiculous thing where I sit down and, and try to translate very fleeting thoughts in my head, onto the paper, and it never works. And on the many days when the writing is bad, I I go upstairs to start making dinner before my my wife and kids come home. And my daughter's always the first one through the door, and she'll run and give me a hug, and she's thrilled to see me. And on, on the days when the writing is good, she'll walk in through the door, and she'll run and give me a hug, and she's thrilled. And she's an element of stability, emotional and psychological stability, and my son is becoming this, my son's only three, that that writing is never going to give me. Writing is going to mm-hmm. be the opposite of that. Writing is going to give me weird sugar highs followed by immediate crashes for the rest of my life. Um, and there's the element of the unreal to that. So I don't even think of it in terms of, oh, the writing would be so much worse. Although I th- I think you're right, I think it would be. Because again, it would be less life for me to draw from. Mm-hmm. I think of it in terms of of the fullness of a human being, and having people in my life who genuinely want to spend time with me under any circumstances. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a rarity. I'm a boring person. I'm bad around people. Um, what they give me is something that no matter how good I get at what I do for a living, writing is never going to give me um, and that's never going to change.
0: I think that not only will writer writing, not give you anything as good as, you know, I love you this much and cows, horses, pigs. I feel like getting that note, you'd have a moment where you're like, I don't even know if I can write something that will ever be as good as I love you more than ever. And cows, horses, pigs, that's like, Some Gertrude Stein, Virginia (laughs) Woolf level of of like beautiful, perfect, summing up the world. There's a quote I actually pulled out of an interview I read uh, that you had done. um, That is, writing is not difficult; it just happens to attract people who tend to find writing difficult. And this is where you tell me you pulled that from somebody else because that's such a perfect line. That is so. I almost want to make T-shirts and mugs that that say that.
1: I didn't pull it from anyone else, but Thomas Mann has a much more efficient version of the phrase, which is um, a writer is someone for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. I knew I knew, much, I was much hearing much the better, echo, but yeah. Much better than anything I've come up with.
0: Well, he's long gone. We can split the, exactly the royalties right. on that. We, we can get some merch. Out, yeah. You mentioned that American War was technically your first, your fourth book. There were three others kind of sunk in the swamp before that. Have you gone back to those and like stripped them for parts? And was there anything in them that that told you they weren't worthy of being? Like, what was it about them that told you I can't can't show these, or was it you that was not ready to show them?
1: I knew that a on a technical level, they weren't worth anyone's time, which is not entirely true because my friend Anna is my first reader on all my projects, and this poor woman has been subjected to the early drafts of all of those manuscripts. Um, but nobody else has has read them. Um, and I, what I mean is that on a technical level, I just couldn't imagine these stories being put on a bookshelf alongside the kind of books that I read and that I want to read. They just weren't good enough. I think people know. I think mm-hmm. generally your taste is so far ahead of your talent at any given moment that you are aware of what good writing is long before you're able to produce good writing Uh, and i think that remains the case for everybody's writing career Um, but there was another facet to it which is that reading these things and rereading them which i haven't done really um, the third of the three i went back and read a few years back um, i noticed that the defining characteristic of necessity is that i want to be heard rather than i have something to say mm. i think there's a there's a real distinction there between and this is true even when i went to the mfa program and i talked to the students i work with over and over again i asked them why why are you doing this some of these people have been working on their manuscripts for 20 years you know you could have learned to play guitar you could have become mm-hmm. a really good guitar player you could have learned a different language You could have walked around the world whatever why why are you doing this and i'm not looking for contrived answers i'm not looking for answers that satisfy some precondition that i have although i do have preconditions for myself i'm looking for an honest answer and the honest answer with respect to those three manuscripts was i really like the idea of being a published author Hmm. Um, i want to be heard And the only real distinction, you know, they got better at a line level just because you're doing sit-ups. The ab muscles are going to get stronger. You're just doing sit-ups.
0: You build the skills, you get a toolkit, you start to, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, So they were getting better at a line level, but that wasn't the distinction. The distinction was that American War, I felt like I had something to say. Hmm. Maybe it's not something people wanted to hear. Maybe I didn't say it properly, but I had something to say. And so that allowed me to cross a threshold that i'm to this day very reluctant to cross which is the threshold of trying to get someone to buy in an agent Mm. an editor eventually a reader that for me is is maybe the most difficult part of the process because i'm never going to feel good enough and the writing is never going to feel good enough to take that step but if i feel like i have something to say some element of necessity then it allows me to cross that threshold and then hopefully an agent or an editor or somebody with more confidence than me can take it over and and make it into a public facing thing. But until then, I can't do it. And with those first three novels, I mean, the first one was about a journalist in Toronto who can't stand his life. That was during <laughs> my write what you know phase. The yeah. second one, I genuinely couldn't tell you what it was about, it was so abstract. And the third one was supposed to be a comedy And about half the people died in the end, you know, even just on a narrative level, what the hell I was doing. And yet I consider those three to be the most important things I've ever written, like by a wide margin. Mm. Um, They were the prerequisites for everything else that came after. And if it wasn't for those three full length novels, and if it wasn't for the feeling of finishing 100,000 words, looking at it and saying, oh, this isn't good enough. None of what comes after actually comes. I don't have the discipline for it, and I don't have the stubbornness. And that's one thing that I think is lacking with a lot of writers who are much better than me in every other sense. Um, you need an element of stubbornness, and I developed it with those three manuscripts.
0: And there was probably a sense that you were writing those, you, you know, you 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 say you were writing them to be a writer, to go from like lowercase w to uppercase w. But they were probably also the ones that were written just purely as writing, like you were building the techniques you were building without without any self-consciousness of this is what I'm doing. It's only in retrospect that you did that. That was the those were the even if you were doing them with impure motivations, you were purely writing, whereas now you are, again, uppercase W uppercase A for author. You get called out to do jury duty, you get called to do podcasts and interviews and to speak on matters, but that's when you were just, it was just you in the book. Is that partly why those are so important?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. And I think it's something that not just writers, but anyone whose profession or whatever they've chosen to do with their lives requires a necessary element of obsession, I Mm -hmm. think we'll be familiar with remember many years ago watching this documentary about a race car driver uh i think it was Ayrton senna but i don't remember and towards the end of the documentary after he's achieved all of this fame and success and won all these races um he's being asked you know what was your favorite moment from your racing career and he talks about racing go-karts as a kid and the kind of freedom involved in that because you don't have sponsors pasted all over your car and there's not a million TV crews following you around. I've never had anything like that level of success. And I never will. I've never made it to Formula One, I will never make it to Formula One. But that impulse to go back to the place where the thing was all there was, I think is familiar to anybody who takes whatever they love, runs with it, and then makes a life out of it. Because Mm -hmm there is again you talk about lowercase writing uppercase writing or lowercase writer uppercase writer there is lowercase life and uppercase life mm. and what you know the lowercase life stuff when you're just alone in a room and you're writing is at the moment when it's being done possessed of a of an extreme sense of frustration what the hell am i doing the last two never saw the light of day. This one's not going to see the light of day. It's been years now of my life that I've put into this. What the hell am I doing? And then later on, when this thing becomes your uppercase life, and suddenly you're on the juries, and you have to get up on stage, and there is a giant monitor in the back of the room saying, "Thanks, Scotia Bank. Thanks, Scotia Bank." <laughs> um, I'm grateful for all of it, and and you know, I don't deserve the success I've had. If you just look at quality of writing, there's so many other writers who deserve far more success than I've had. I'm grateful for all of it. But it's not the act of sitting there and doing the work. Mm -hmm. And I look back at that now, at just sitting in this nook at a loft in Toronto, out in Liberty Village before Liberty Village became the nightmare place that it is today. And just no expectation of anything other than the words landing on the page not worrying about an editor or an agent or literally later tonight when i hop on a plane to new york to go meet with folks at penguin random house to find out if i still have a career or not you know none of that was there and i was so desperate for it at the time and now i'm so desperate for the 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 cleanliness of just sitting there and writing and mm-hmm. it's everybody knows this story you know and everybody tell it warns you about it and everybody goes through the same routine um and now I'm just going through it at a, at a slightly different stage I suppose
0: and I wonder if the, how much that relates to the age you were when your first published book came out and became successful you weren't in your early 20s do you think that has a lot to do with the way that you still conceive of yourself your right as a writer that way despite multiple Canada Reads, Gillers, Awards, traveling all over?
1: Yeah, there's two things that factor into it, and that's one of them. The fact that I did, this didn't come at 21 or anything like that. Um, I never had the talent for that to be the case. Um, and also, I never had the confidence to find out one way or another if I could make it happen at 21. I submitted one short story to a literary magazine throughout my 20s and 30s. Um, and they said no, and I never submitted again. That was at uh-huh. 19, I think. Right. was when I did that. Um, so, in between, you know, 35, when my first novel comes out, and literally like 1920, when I get my first journalism gig at the student newspaper, the first time somebody's paying me to write, um, I had the kind of profession that tenderizes you a little bit emotionally and, and psychologically when you're working with very unsentimental back desk editors at Mm -hmm. a major newspaper, when you're writing stories, and the comment section is just full of racist drivel almost immediately as soon as the story goes up. After years of that, the nerve endings get a little singed, which is not Mm -hmm. a good thing. But it is a thing. And so I think I was a little bit more prepared for certain aspects of being public-facing in a way that I really never was as a journalist. Um, There were lots of of things that I wasn't prepared for, but that kind of professional life braced me for certain aspects of it. Even doing interviews or being on the radio or sitting in front of a, a TV studio or something, I had a little bit of experience with that. I remember early on in my career at the Globe and Mail, I was about to do my first TV hit you know, uh, I think it was like BNN or something. I'd written a business story, and um, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And so I went to another journalist, another reporter who had who had previously been a TV journalist. And I was like, "What the hell do I do?" And he's like, "Oh, it's easy. Whatever they ask you, ignore it and just answer the question you want to ask. These things are so short that they won't have time to call you out on it. You're on air for three <laughs> minutes. They just have to run." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, little hints like that helped. So I think ha- having that that time in my life to brace for it, even though I didn't know I was bracing for it, um, was was a big part of it. The other part, I think, is is the knowledge, the certainty, really, that the curve isn't down and then up. The curve is down and up and down and maybe never mm. up again. And so you talk about, you know, I. I I appreciate you glossing over the multiple Canada Reads losses and just saying Canada <laughs> Reads. I lost both of them and I lost both it's of them. An,
0: it's an honor to be nominated. It's, it's an, an honor, honor to, to be, nominated. be
1: nominated. Man, those celebrities hated my book. Um, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there as well. Um, it, it It's a moment, and I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of moments. You know, the first book, when, before it came out, they... They thought it was going to be the next Hunger Games. I mean, they thought American War was going to sell millions of copies. It was mm. the book, you know, that people in New York were talking about. And and of course it never did any of that. By my standards it did astoundingly well in that it got published and some people read it. But it was it was never going to meet that expectation. But to even be in a position where somebody thought it might do that was was tremendous, right? Um and then what strange paradise nobody was excited about other than my canadian editor jared bland he was the only person who genuinely was excited for that book no other editor all my foreign editors pretty much abandoned it had no real interest in it uh one or two bought it but otherwise american war sold in 13 territories i think um what strange paradise did three which again by my standards amazing to do one is amazing um And what saved it was uh, an incredibly generous New York Times review, and then the stuff with the Giller Prize. But that saved my career. My career was on the path of going absolutely nowhere. These are little blips, and it may well be that I'm on the other side of these little blips. And to be perfectly honest with you, not to get like weirdly political, and I know this isn't that kind of show, but in the past few months, it has become incredibly difficult to give a shit about whether I have a writing career or not.
0: Hmm. i'm watching people get
1: obliterated i'm watching the world go to shit and i i have to think about whether i'm going to get another book deal who cares Mm -hmm. who cares um so that factors into it right it's not down and then up it's not i struggled and now i've made it it's i struggled i've had certain moments of success i'm going to have moments of failure who the hell knows what's coming but also i'm not genuinely afraid that a missile is going to land on my house anytime soon and that sort of puts all the rest of it into perspective i think
0: what happened next is produced and edited by me the music playing under my voice is by the great alex lukashevsky who is letting me use it for free you can find more of alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.